0: This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaji. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. As Boston and other cities emerge from the COVID-19 epidemic, traffic congestion has returned as well. Studies made before the pandemic observed that highway congestion cost Boston commuters an additional 164 hours in their car each year prompting many to seek faster alternatives. The MBTA offers rapid transit rail service into Boston, but the reach of its network is limited and new train lines are extremely expensive to build. The MBTA bus network reaches more communities, but is seen as a less attractive, slower option owing to their cumbersome boarding process and traveling in the same congestion as cars. Fortunately, a new form of transit is appearing on the horizon, bus rapid transit or BRT. BRT is a concept that enables a bus to operate similar to a train by building lanes and stations into the current built environment that reduce traffic and signal delays and streamline boarding. This new conception of a bus could revolutionize Boston's transit capabilities by bringing rapid transit to currently unserved communities and delivering an attractive alternative to cars at a cost that is far below building new train or light rail services. My guest today is Ian Ollis, Director of Transportation Planning at the Fredericksburg Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, and author of the recently released Pioneer Institute research paper entitled Bus Rapid Transit, Costs and Benefit of a Transit Alternative. Mr. Ollis' research looks at the challenges of Boston's mass transit system and suggests that BRT can offer commuters a new cost-effective addition to our transportation landscape. His paper offers insight on ways to build local stakeholder support for BRT and then use that success to expand service more widely. When I return, I'll be joined by transportation researcher, Ian Aulis. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaji, and I'm now joined by Ian Aulis, Director for Transportation Planning at the Fredericksburg Area Metropolitan Planning Organization and author of the recently released Pioneer Institute research paper entitled, Bus Rapid Transit, Costs and Benefit of a Transit Alternative. Welcome to Hubwonk, Ian.
1: Thank you for having me, I look forward to chatting with you.
0: All right, before we get started, I'm sure uh, at least one or two of our listeners will wanna uh, hear uh, hear a little bit of an accent and wonder uh, where you started life. You're not a Bostonian, so uh, give us a little bit of background on, on you.
1: Sure, I was born and raised in South Africa. So um, actually I'm a fourth generation African and came to Boston um, in mid 2018 to go back to college. So I went back to educate myself a second time. I went to MIT and completed another master's degree there in transportation planning. And uh, then worked in Boston for the Pioneer Institute for a while, and also for Transit Matters in Boston. So spent some time working in Boston, and I've recently taken up a position in Virginia doing uh, transportation planning again.
0: Wonderful. Like so many of us, you came to Boston uh, for school. Um, yeah. So you say you, um, uh, you're you now um, in uh, Fredericksburg, applying your knowledge that you learned at MIT. Um, what was it that you studied specifically at MIT, urban planning, but with a specific uh, focus on transportation?
1: Yeah, transportation planning, um, the, the degree is technically a master's in city and regional planning. Uh, but my course focus and my thesis were all on transportation planning. Um, uh, looking specifically at uh, things like mode shift. How do you convince people to take a different form of transportation than they used to? Why should they take a different form of transportation? What are the results of either option? If everybody buys a car, what does that look like on the roads? If everybody takes transit, what does that look like? So the shifts between different modes was kind of what I looked at in my thesis. And, and just transportation planning generally. So, how do we plan future roads? How do we plan future train lines? How do we plan a bus system? Uh, and and what are the things that go into deciding which of those are the best options for a particular locality? So, all that was part of my, my uh, study.
0: Wonderful. So, you're well su- uh, suited for uh, writing this paper. I think there's a a reason it's, it reads so well. So let's start with that. Let's talk about the bu- uh, bus rapid transit. Um, but as a bit of background, um, your analysis is done on the backdrop of the congestion in Boston. You cite some uh, data at the start or the top of the paper talking about how bad Boston traffic was before the pandemic. Indeed, you mentioned that it was the worst in America and among the top 10 worst in the world. So say more about that
1: absolutely so uh inrex and and several other um organizations texas a m university published these um annual statistics on congestion in the united states and and also around the world and uh, boston and the greater metro area have frequently scored in the top 10 kind of worst places uh, in the united states and occasionally one of the worst places in the world for congestion and they measure congestion by um, the delays on on your trip, um, and also the amount of extra time that you spend in traffic. And Boston frequently, or the greater metro area of Boston frequently scores very badly on all of those metrics. The one year it was the worst in the United States, some years it's the third worst or, or the fourth worst, but typically it's always in the top five uh, for that particular reason. And uh, so it, it, it's a major problem that you have to deal with in the Boston metro area is, is how do you deal with this growing congestion because the population grows. Success breeds success breeds congestion, right? So if your city is successful at attracting lots of new folks, you're going to have increased congestion, and you're going to have to find ways to deal with it. So uh, this particular paper then says BRT, Bus Rapid Transit, is one of the possible solutions to congestion, remembering that it's always a package. You you, you need to do multiple things simultaneously and this paper proposes that bus rapid transit is one of the solutions that could really assist in taking care of that long-term congestion problem that Boston has been having for decades.
0: Yeah, I want to put a finer point on that. One uh, one statistic that was mentioned is uh, because of congestion, uh, the average uh, Boston commuter spends an extra 164 hours uh, getting to work that they would not were there no congestion. If we, Absolutely. Bake, if we bake that into a 40-hour week, that's a month of work in traffic. So uh, that's a sobering reality. So I I wanted to offer that as the backdrop for our conversation because uh, if we could, we would all like to spend a little less time in traffic. Uh, Now we're gonna go deep into uh, what public transit is all about. Again, you're an expert in this field. Let's define our terms because as you say, um, bus rapid transit is one of many uh, forms of rapid transit. Define for our listeners some of the other alternatives. If I'm gonna get to work using mass transit, what are my
1: alternatives? So, you could use a subway train. Uh, Typically, most uh, metropolitan cities have a a subway system in the larger cities, and that is a set of trains that run in tunnels underground. In uh, the um, uh, Boston metro area, you've got the T, the MBTA's subway trains, the red line, the green line, the orange line, the blue line. The the green line, effectively, is, is in some cities a different alternative because on the, when it's above ground it is a light rail system or a tram and people use those those terms interchangeably. So you could use a light rail or tram system. You could use subway tunnels with subway trains as you have in Boston or New York. Uh, you could uh, have a regular bus. So the the typical yellow MBTA regular buses um, are in um, on the road and often in regular traffic. Um, And that we can have a discussion about that because those buses, if you don't have special bus lanes or other facilities, the bus is going to take just as long as the car will. And it doesn't help because the bus also has to stop every so often to pick up and drop off folks. So it's going to take a long time, uh, a regular bus. If you've got congestion and there's no accommodations for that bus specifically, the bus is going to be stuck behind you or in front of you in the traffic in a normal sense.
0: Sure, sure. Okay. So you've you've laid out the uh, the framework. You've got, I guess, um, heavy rail, which is the commuter rail, the purple line. Then you've got uh, subways, um, which are, as you mentioned, all the different colored lines. And when the the green line comes out of the ground, it becomes light rail. Uh, again, it, it moves along with cars, besides them, but and interacts, I guess, with uh, congestion. But it has its own sort of space. And then last of all is is the bus that you mentioned, uh, the yellow bus. And unfortunately, it's thrown in with the same congestion that our cars are. So in its current form, uh, it, it suffers from some of the challenges that you would if you were to take your car. So there, I think, is a good place to jump off. So you, you mentioned bus rapid transit as something different from a bus. So you've got the yellow bus. You've got bus rapid transit. Share with our listeners, what, how does a bus rapid transit system differ from a regular bus system?
1: So, there are four or five big differences around the world that they use um, to make something a bus rapid transit system. Um, The first thing is that they have rapid boarding. So, the idea is to try and make the floor of the bus the same height as the floor of the bus stop. They call them bus stations so that you can push your uh, uh, wheelchair or your um, stroller straight into the bus without any stairs. You can walk straight into the bus without any stairs, and the floor is level. Um, that is added to by with a second um, piece of technology, which is off-the-bus fare collection. So the driver does not get involved with collecting your money, fiddling with coins and change, or a slot in the uh, front of the bus where you put your, your money in. Um, the fare is collected off of the bus it's collected in the bus station or the bus stop itself, so that you don't have um, money having to change hands on the bus, because that takes time. So you you imagine the queue of people climbing up the stairs into a bus, standing at the front, tapping their T card or uh, fiddling with coins and notes to try and pay the fare. None of that happens on a full completed BRT system. You collect the money somewhere else. So that speeds up the process of boarding new people onto the bus and getting them off the bus. The big big change is, of course, that you try with a BRT system, a bus rapid transit system, to have a dedicated bus lane, Uh, preferably for the whole route. But in many cases, when you have to put a bus rapid transit system on an existing roadway with existing uh, uh, limitations, you have to alternate that with some dedicated bus lanes and some where the bus has to, unfortunately, still operate in the regular traffic. So it depends on how much land you've got available. If you have land available, it's preferable to have the whole route a completely dedicated bus lane. And and these kinds of features together make the trip quick. You get on and off the bus much quicker than a regular bus. Uh, You pay the fare somewhere else. You get on a level floor. The bus operates in a dedicated lane. And then in, in some cases, they also have signalized preference for the bus. So you arrive at the intersection. The bus is allowed to go a few seconds before the cars. So the bus lane. The light goes, the bus moves forward. A few seconds later, the light goes again, and the cars move forward. So the bus can get in front of the queue, in a sense. And all of that together means that the bus is quicker than your car because it's not stuck in traffic. It's in its own lane. The only thing in that lane is the bus in front of it. So the buses tend to move quicker Uh, like a train does because it eliminates the traffic, it eliminates the slow boarding and and getting off the bus uh, and and is a much faster system. So that's typically what a BRT is. When you have to retrofit a city with BRT, you sometimes have to pick and choose those elements that you can afford and that can actually be accommodated in the right-of-way of the roadway where you're trying to put it in. So you can't always have everything and so they talk about a five star gold uh, brt or a four star or three star depending on which of those um uh, particular measures you can implement on a particular roadway
0: so this sounds uh, again you use the, the closest analogy there um sounds like the green line in brookline with tires instead of wheels um but even there, we haven't chosen to um, make level boarding or um, streamline the uh, fare collection process. So um, uh, it would seem to me that uh, we should walk before we can run. Uh, is there any plan at a way to help the uh, the green line become, let's say, uh, uh, more rapid than it is now?
1: So the Pioneer Institute hasn't uh, put out a paper to to deal with that particular thing, as far as I'm aware. Um, but the MBTA has been looking at ways to speed up the green line. And so they've, they've looked at a couple of things to to uh, consolidate two stations into one, two, two green line stops into one. And they're looking at the fare collection system to try and eliminate having cash on the on the train, but there have been local pressure groups that have been trying to convince the T to still allow for the cash on on the buses and, and trains. So it, it's a bit of a push and pull between the local community and certain groups, certain disabled people's groups and so on with the MBTA as to how much of that to do and how much not to do. But it's a trade-off. I mean, the public essentially who, who express their views have a trade-off. Do we want it substantially faster? without some of these measures like cash on the bus and train or do you want halfway where you you have some of the measures but you don't want all of them and and uh, are the public happy to to have two stops or stations consolidated on the green line or not if if you have those you're going to get quick uh, the trip is going to be faster you're going to get to work or to school or to the shops quicker but if you uh, still want all of the stops uh, it takes longer to get there. And so all of these things are a, are a, a negotiation, I guess, with the co- commuter, the consumer, and, and the operator.
0: So it sounds like an ambitious, uh, as you say, there's a lot of uh, choices, a lot of trade-offs. Um, step step back a bit and say, okay, look, bus is a, it's not a new technology. What you described seems fairly intuitive uh, and not highly technical as far as a solution goes. Um, is, is this concept of uh, bus rapid transit used anywhere in the world historically uh, let's start with sort of outside the US and then perhaps we can talk about if there's examples within the us
1: yeah so in South America uh, Mexico um, in Africa the, the country I come from in South Africa has in in uh, I think it's six now of the larger metropolitan areas a bus rapid transit system uh, Bogota in in Colombia is the is the is the big case where, where they've implemented the full thing. Uh, large amounts of people are moved on a bus rapid transit system every day. Mexico City has been putting in some lines. Uh, it's, it's used in Europe, in some locations. Uh, so it, It's used on, on basically every continent. As I said, some people go for the full five-star system with all of the bells and whistles. Other people choose the parts of it that they can accommodate. Uh, The typical situation in the U.S. is that uh, people do implement it, but they typically don't go for all all of the metrics. They implement the portions that they can implement quickly and uh, don't always take all of the bells and whistles. The, the, The ultimate BRT would have the buses run on dedicated lanes in the middle of the roadway. And there would be a bus station, a completely enclosed bus station in the middle of the roadway in the median. And uh, you would cross the road on a a, a pedestrian crosswalk and a signalized one. And then the bus station or bus stop would be in the middle of the road. And that makes the buses even faster. The, The metrics of where you place the bus station have an effect on the speed as well. So, I mean, that that turns the bus into a train effectively because you have everything happening on a dedicated set of lanes in the middle of the road without any obstructions, and it, the bus becomes virtually a train.
0: So when we talk about becoming virtually a train, um, setting aside uh, you know how we, wh- whether we have a one, two, three, four, five-star version of it, have you compared the costs of, uh, let's say from brand new, building a BRT versus building a, Something like a green line equivalent, a, a light rail. Is is there any uh, comparison if I want to, uh, uh, you know, use this uh, option uh, A versus B?
1: Yeah, so uh, there are comparisons that we've done and that that others have done um, between all the modes. So if you have a a full heavy rail subway train, the BRT bus would be up to seventy times cheaper to build and operate because it's you don't have to dig tunnels and put uh, trains in tunnels that's a really expensive option um, so the brt is up to 70 seven zero times cheaper than than having a train in a tunnel light rail is kind of the halfway station some of the costs are are as much as having a train so when you look at the cost of laying the track for uh, the purple line the commuter rail uh, system versus laying the track for a green line system. The cost of the track is is fairly similar. Uh, the cost of the land, it depends on where the land is, how much it's going to cost you if, if, to, if you have to buy land. Um, the, the BRT system is several times less expensive if you have enough roadway space, because then you don't typically have to buy much land. And you don't have to put rails down. You just have a tarred, a, a, an asphalt road surface, uh, and you just have a dedicated lane. So it's just in in the case of BRT, it depends how much land you have. If you don't have enough space between uh, on the uh, right of way, you may have to purchase land, or you may have to take a sliver of land from from uh, disused land either side of the roadway, or something like that. Um, but there's less infrastructure cost. It's it's quite a, a bit cheaper than putting down rails, track to, to run a system.
0: So uh, your, your paper talks about um, uh, several experiments we've had with BRT, a couple of trials here in Massachusetts. I believe uh, the paper talks about Arlington, Everett, and then uh, Watertown, Cambridge. Uh, I've yes. run past or, or seen these big red strips on the on the ground. Uh, for the dedicated bus lanes, and uh, it's not intuitively obvious why that you know taking up a, a lane of traffic for a bus uh, and leaving fewer for cars necessarily helps everyone. Um, uh, let's first let's talk about how you chose or how those um, cities were chosen. Was it that the the mayors of those cities wanted uh, you know something for their uh, constituents, or, or was this sort of a, a top down uh, academic exercise?
1: So those particular local communities and, for example, the mayor of Everett wanted to, to have these pilot studies and the Barr Foundation offered um, some funding grants to set up a trial. And so these three particular communities um, uh, took advantage of that funding, uh, were awarded the funding and set it up with the MBTA as a trial run to see how it would work. And effectively, it they were really successful. Um, the big question always is, Um, do you have to take a lane away from traffic or have you got space to add a lane uh, to to provide a lane for the bus? And uh, when you take a lane away uh, or when you take all the parking away, it often upsets people. And uh, so there have been examples in in Boston in the past um, where a particular plan was unveiled to put a BRT system and the public reacted. Uh, Unhappily, protests happened and, and the thing was halted. Um, The advantage of these trials is that you can do it for a period and experiment and see what the results are, and and the public seems to react a little less severely to to that particular environment. They were very successful um, trial periods, and the mayor of Everett, I believe, is uh, super excited about rolling this out even further and having even further routes to connect because Everett is a little isolated from the public transportation system. It doesn't have a stop on the T's subway lines. The orange line doesn't have a stop close to areas in that that community. And people want to go to work at Kendall Square, or they want to go to work in downtown Boston. And how do they get there when the public transportation options are quite limited? So it's a typical community where this sort of infrastructure would be very useful. And one of the things our paper calls for is an involvement with a local community when you want to set up a BRT system. Involve the local community. Don't implement it and wait for the outcry. Involve the community in a participation process where they can come to a meeting and hear all about the proposal and discuss the options and understand what's involved and give their comments and give their feedback so that by the time you implement it, Folks know what to expect and what not to expect. And it's very good to do these trials, these uh, test cases. Uh, And then if people like them, you can say, well, everybody seems to really like this. Let's do some more routes. It it gets public buy-in. And the paper calls for that, saying, we really want people to be consulted and have buy-in. But we do think this is a good option to be implemented, because it's so much less expensive than the other options. And it has great environmental benefits.
0: So you, you, you do car- categorically said these these trials were a success. Um, I'm hoping or I'm guessing that the uh, success is measured by how much more quickly a, a, a commuter can get to work than without it. Um, did you measure how much uh, benefit a BRT was to, let's just use Everett as an example?
1: Um, so obviously we didn't, as the Pioneer Institute uh, representatives, go out and, and measure, uh, clock the bus, and check how fast it was working. But certainly there was engagement um, by the MBTA with um, the local community, and they measured the speed at which the buses were able to get to the destinations. And and really, the buses were faster than regular buses uh, and provided a much uh, more efficient way for people to get to work lots of people use the buses another way you can measure efficiency is how many people actually choose to get onto the bus rather than take their car or take an uber and clearly people were using these buses the buses were well subscribed many people rode the bus so lots of people chose to use it and so that's a sign of success and the time of travel was measured by the MBTA in terms of how long it took the bus to get to the destination. And and that was seen as a success because it was a lot quicker than having a regular bus, but without the huge expense of having a subway tunnel that you have to dig.
0: I enjoyed uh, the a part of your paper when you talked about uh, not necessarily the benefits that uh, were realized in uh, Everett or... Cambridge Watertown, but rather you talked about um, BRT in Cleveland, Ohio. I thought this was very interesting in that um, a lot happened uh, uh, in that uh, community. Uh, it was both to um, uh, the revitalization of the businesses along that line, but also had a positive influence on even uh, home prices and uh, sort of uh, the success of the city. Um, I, I can you talk about that? Those findings in the paper, and in a sense, how would you weave that into your case if you're walking into a community like Everett to say, "Look, um, this doesn't just get you to Boston faster; it makes Everett a better place." Um, can Can you relate to those stories?
1: Absolutely. So, this particular case you referred to in Cleveland, I mean, the the results showed that the housing prices along the route went up, not down. People often often worry um, about whether certain traffic is going to co- contribute to to dropping their housing prices. We know already from research elsewhere that uh, building a new modern train system pushes housing prices up. But people are not always sure with a bus whether you achieve the same results. And in that particular case, the housing prices alongside the new BRT system went up, and that's very good. Um, It also provides congestion relief to that particular community. Um, which did help. It got a lot of people to work faster. And so it's a, it's a prime example of where it really does work well um, if you get the community buy-in, and that's the key thing. Is you, you, you don't want to be implementing something that a local community is dead against because it won't have those, those results. But that particular case was super successful.
0: So, so we have, you know, we've talked about a lot about the success, uh, uh, you know, the relative cost, the, 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 this uh, speedy commute, uh, and the revitalization of the community. So I'm going into a new community. You you actually cite um, some failures of proposals of BRT. I think it was back in 2009, back during the Patrick administration, uh, where they had wanted to build uh, a BRT uh, on Blue Hill Ave. And there was a lot of pushback. Was that based on, let's say, uh, ignorance about the benefits, or the fact that it was implemented too quickly, that there wasn't buy-in—is—is is this a, um, you know, is this a case study in what not to do?
1: Yeah, I think we said in the paper that you know it, we we and and the community involved realized afterwards um, that administration, the MBTA realized afterwards that the public want to kick the tires on a new idea. They want to discuss it. They want to think about it. They want to look at at how it works, and I think that particular one was implemented in too much of a rush. The, the community wasn't consulted. They didn't know what to expect. They just heard that this thing was going to be done in their community without the details being understood. And so really, one of the thing, two, two things happened. Businesses often complain because they have this perception that if you put this BRT system down, it's going to reduce their um, customer base because you might have to remove a few parking bays outside of their store. And so businesses often push back, local communities often push back if they think you're going to take a lane of traffic out of the road, or a, a lane available for their cars, and now their traffic's going to get worse. And so often people um, hear about the details without having a full understanding and an appreciation of what has happened elsewhere when these things have been implemented, and rightfully they, they're upset. And, and so we're calling for that consultation to be done. In Cleveland, you saw that businesses did actually do better after the implementation of the bus rapid transit system. They didn't do worse. Um, the same thing, by the way, also happens with a, a bus uh, lane. If you put in, sorry, a, a bike lane. If you put in a, a bike lanes in front of stores, the number of people who go and shop in those stores actually goes up, not down. So, so. Putting bicycle lanes actually helps businesses in the area. But people don't always know these facts beforehand. And so it, it was very important um, when implementing these kinds of things to get buy in from the local community, explain the project, allow people to ask questions and debate the issue. And uh, you find then you get better responses from the public and from local businesses who feel that they've been consulted and that they understand more of what's involved and they understand particularly the results of what happened elsewhere where a system like this was already implemented. The proof is in the pudding. So once you've done it somewhere, you can say, hey, look, this is what we did. It worked.
0: That sounds good. So in a sense, get buy in, uh, let people uh, ruminate on the uh, concept and then uh, uh, implement it gradually, and then uh, uh, gradually it's embraced. Um, I, I've I've tried to so far in our conversation steer our conversation clear of uh, the pandemic and COVID. We've done pretty well so far, uh, but we're pretending that this hasn't happened. And of course, it has. Uh, that affected the, the commutes, the work behavior of, of nearly everyone in our uh, in our uh, greater Boston community. Uh, you 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 in your paper have a graph showing the dramatic fall-off immediately after, uh, I guess, March 2020, and then a return to um, uh, all modes of transportation. Cars are almost back where they were. We're almost as congested as we were before the pandemic, which is remarkable. Um, But of all the modes of transportation, the buses fell the least and returned the most quickly. Um, What does that say about those people who use buses, and I guess essentially will be likely to use the uh, a bus rest, rapid transit as well
1: yeah so the across the country not just in boston um, the buses have seen the fastest return to normalcy if you like uh, the ridership has gone back to what it was pre covid a lot quicker with buses than it has with trains for example commuter trains have remained uh, still below uh, the ridership levels they had before COVID. Um so it, it, it also ties in with the um, concept or the, the, the number of people who are essential workers, essential service workers. Um, these folks don't have lots of other options, typically. And so they need to get to work. And to get to work and wherever else they need to go, they typically don't always have a car or two cars in the family that are available to use to, to uh, get to work or to get to school, and typically use buses more frequently than, say, um, um, more middle class folks who have other options. So typically, the service industry um, has a lot of folks who use buses, and they have to get to work. And so their bus ridership uh, has uh, bounced back to relative normal normality. Uh, far quicker than the trains. People who use commuter trains often are folks who have a car, have access to an automobile, and who are able to find another way to get there. And so those riders bounce back uh, quite a bit slower than um, you would find with a bus. Uh, with a BRT bus, Um, It's kind of a mix. I think you would find essential service workers will use a BRT system. uh, But because it's seen as faster and more reliable and more successful than a regular bus stuck in traffic, you find that other folks also tend to use it. So you see some other folks who are not essential service workers who also jump on the BRT bus because it's modern and it's faster, uh, will get you to your destination quicker than a regular bus, which is stuck behind all the cars
0: yes i wouldn't have thought of it that way but i was going to make the point that uh, you compare the sort of the relative percentage of of workers in service industries that's healthcare and and retail and all these kind of things uh that is much higher percentage in places like Everett than it is, say, in Cambridge, where people perhaps are more uh, in technology or, or academics. Um, but what you're saying is BRT actually uh, seeks to or offers an alternative to those people who do have choices, uh, those being cars or, you know, even telecommuting. They, they can take this if it's reliable uh, and get yes. them there faster. I also want to point out in one piece in your paper that BRT, beyond being a, you know, faster, that the variance in, in the commuter, Commuting times goes down substantially, and I think that's important. Someone I, I you know, I I love uh, trains and and buses. Um, if I know my average commute is a half hour, but sometimes it's an hour, uh, I wind up uh, not using it because uh, I'm not prepared to go to work, and I'm not prepared to get to work a half hour early for all the other days. So I, I think uh, b- highlight the the reduction variance of uh, commuting times offered by BRT.
1: Yeah, so b- BRT is much more reliable and also quicker and these two things go together because you've got a dedicated lane you don't have to wait for the traffic so the brt is is particularly when it has a dedicated lane will go straight down that lane and there isn't even another bus immediately in front of it because the bus that went 15 20 minutes before the current one has already gone Um, because it doesn't have traffic in front of it so these buses move Rapidly down these lanes, and the two lanes of cars next door will be uh, slowed down because of traffic, because of congestion, and they can't move as quickly as the buses do. So, typically, that means also that they're more reliable if there's a uh, traffic jam or an accident in the uh, one car hits into another car in the lane, unless it spills over into the BRT lane. Uh, typically, the BRT bus carries on moving fast, and everybody else has got to wait for this uh, automobile accident to be cleared and all that kind of thing. So it tends to be more reliable, um, and if you have um, a modern fleet of buses, then it's even more reliable because they won't break down or, or or that type of thing. So the reliability is much higher, and the speed is much higher than a regular bus, uh, and so that for that reason, um, it appeals to people who. Have uh, a choice. Who can choose to take um, their car or um, an Uber or a Lyft or their bicycle or stay at home and telework? This provides a choice that um, is more satisfying to people who, for whom, time is important.
0: Indeed, I think we all fall in that uh, category. Uh, So, uh, if if we've done a successful job of talking about the benefits of of uh, bus rapid transit. Our listeners uh, like to learn, but they also like to do. And they, uh, if they've been persuaded by your argument and the arguments in your paper, uh, what can they do uh, if they're uh, in a community that perhaps is underserved by um, uh, rapid transit, and certainly um, buses may not be not be very rapid at all? Um, what can they do to encourage? Uh, the adoption of uh, BRT in their community uh, and where can they go to learn more about just the the whole concept in general?
1: Uh, So obviously our paper you can read, there's also um, uh, much material online that people can read to just find out more about um, how BRT operates. Um, There's a BRT Center for Excellence on the internet that you can look to, the Pioneer paper, but also you can go and um, lobby your local City council, your local councilman or woman, uh, to investigate putting a new BRT system in your community. Obviously, in in the Greater Boston area, the MBTA runs the system, so your city council or um, uh, counties, um, the Board of Supervisors, would need to interact with the MBTA in order to create the new BRT system in your neighborhood. And uh, the MBTA is involved in a number of, of of these pilot projects and are also looking to develop more routes in the future. Um, the Silver Line is, portions of the Silver Line are a typical BRT system where you don't have the buses of the Silver Line stuck in traffic. That is a BRT. Um, there are other portions of the Silver Line where they do um, get stuck in traffic and that's not Really, what we're aiming for, um, but that silver line, the portions that have a dedicated uh, lane, those are examples of what can be done with a BRT. It's quite quick if you take the silver line from South Station to the airport. It's it's many portions of that are on a dedicated lane, and it's quite quick. You can see how fast it can move when you don't have cars in front of you.
0: Indeed. And I think we'll, we'll leave the show with that. But uh, again, I want to make the case that uh, it matters not just for people who ride the bus, but the people who are in traffic. Every every person who's on that rapid bus to rapid transit is someone who's not in his car in front of you on the highway. So this is a, an issue for all of us to embrace uh, and encourage. So thank you very much for being on Hubwonk today, Ian.
1: Sure. I've enjoyed it. It's been fun and something that I think uh, we're all really interested in hearing more about because it's a new thing really for many of us in the United States.
0: Indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. If you wanna make it easier for others to find Hubwonk, it would be great if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you wanna share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas for me or comments or suggestions about future episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at Institute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.